The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and this week I'm joined by the full cast of characters as returning. I have that. So, Jesse, what's going on, Jesse? Hey, what's up? How you doing? Good. Um, just finished watching the football, uh, the Super Bowl, so yeah, let's go. Good to talk to you. We also have returning this week none other than Mr. Nabias Wilborn. What's going on, Nabias? Man, same old stuff, different day, man. I got boys and girls doing everybody good. Yeah, man, we're good. good. We're great. And yeah, last but not least, we also are joined this week, returning once again with the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not much. Just left the bar and happy to still be able to be coherent. So, yeah. All right. Know the score is brought to you by CSPN.us. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. You can also download and subscribe to Know the Score through any app that uh, plays podcasts on iTunes or Android phones. So, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, we are minutes after the conclusion of the Super Bowl number 52 taking place in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as the Philadelphia Eagles, the underdogs of the playoffs, pull off the miracle, and they beat the New England Patriots 41-33. to Nick Foles is your MVP. Doug Peterson with a masterful job of play calling and coaching, being aggressive. The Eagles defense comes up with the money play in the fourth quarter, stopping the Patriots' last comeback attempt as Tom Brady, for all intents and purposes, going for a two-minute drive, gets sacked, fumbled. Eagles recover. They give the ball back to the Patriots with a few seconds left. Patriots get to the 50. They get one Hail Mary. Ball gets knocked down in the end zone. And the Eagles are your world champions. So, Miss Jesse, we'll start with you. Your thoughts, um, the aftermath of the game, and a congrats to the champions, the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see. Ooh, hold on. I didn't really see the game unfolding the way that it did. Um, yeah, you know, I think remember the line was um, New England four and a half. I was kind of wishy washy on how the game would turn out. Um, I knew that the only the way that the Eagles would win the Super Bowl would be to you know ratchet, up, of course, ratchet up the um, pressure on Tom Brady. But you also have to um, kind of just covering their, their quote-unquote weapons of sorts. Um, during the game, we saw Brandon Cooks go down. That was not optimistic, but I kind of worried when players were getting separation from the safeties. So I think the turning point here was that the Patriots defense wasn't very good. They're soft. They're terrible. Well, not terrible, but they weren't very good. And, yeah, you can't let the other team score 41 and expect to win the Super Bowl. All right, Nabias, I'll bring you in. Uh, your thoughts, conclusion of the Super Bowl? I mean, who would have thought, saw it going that way? I mean, I think everybody would, what, 220 left? Brady with the ball, two timeouts. I mean, I wouldn't – I think if you ask everybody their heart of hearts, I would say 95% of people probably assume that Brady was going to drop a touchdown, right? I mean, it's just the movie that we've seen so many times. But what happened? Um, the Eagles were really going to get impression. That's the one – place where Brady really struggles. He doesn't step up in the pocket well. Whenever you get pressure on him, it tends to mess with him. And in that situation, it did. They got the sack, fumble, and then also give the Eagles credit. They went down. They held on to the ball. They didn't rush. Unlike a certain team last year, we ain't going to go there. But um, they took their time. Um, I think Doug Peterson called. I'm not going to say out Coach Belichick. I ain't going to go that far, but Doug Peterson has really shown himself to be one of the best coaches in the NFL today. I mean, the way he went through this playoffs, saying, the way he called this game, I mean, not just – I mean, obviously you had offensive, defense coordinator, but just the way that coaching staff worked together, um, I don't know if I've seen a better coaching performance in the last five years. Yeah, Doug Peterson definitely deserves a lot of credit for the way he had his team prepared and the in-game adjustments and his aggressiveness. We'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, Dwayne, I'll let you get the final thoughts on just your, you know, final, you know, conclusions and, you know, thoughts about what took place tonight in the Super Bowl. It was a really, really excellent game. I thought that these two teams, it was a slugfest and a shootout, if you will. 
Um, but, you know, the bend, don't break philosophy of the Patriots really came back to haunt them because they broke a lot. And Matt Patricia is going to take that to Detroit, which is not a good thing. So, um, but it was really just the one play that made the difference. Uh, you know, both teams didn't get that much pressure going on the whole game. And the Eagles finally made through on that uh, Pat's offensive line. And once that um, sack fumble happened, you know, there was really nothing that that anybody could do to save that. Tuck Rule couldn't save them. Nothing could have really saved them in this one. And it was really a great game. Um, great calling by Doug Peterson. A lot of gutsy calls. And it seems like the the calls that are gutsy, the more gutsier the calls, like that fourth and one, having Nick Foles catch a touchdown pass. And that really made a huge difference in the game. And then, and then um, it just was one of those bold moves, kind of like the onside kick Sean Payton did with the – Saints back in 2009, bold move that paid off, and and uh, the momentum was in Philadelphia's favor. Everything New England did come at for the Eagles. The Eagles had a response, and that's really one of the ways you beat the Patriots. You run the ball, and we alluded to this earlier in a previous show, is that if you run the ball and you run the ball well on New England, you will likely win the game. That's how all four of their losses went this season, including the Super Bowl. Um, each team pretty much had like 100 uh, to 150, maybe even 200 yards on the ground. Yeah, I got it right here. Uh, Blunt had 14 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Jay Ajayi had nine rushes for 57 yards. As a team, the Eagles rushed for 164 yards. But I think a lot that nobody saw coming was the game that Aguilar had and Clement out of the backfield. Clement had four catches for 100 yards, basically the um, the touchdown on fourth and one uh, there where they went for it up the seam that looked like it could have went either way. Of the first of two touchdowns that the Eagles got, they could have went either way. Both calls went for the Eagles. And Aguilar had nine catches in this game. Um didn't score a touchdown, but had a lot of good first down catches. And then Zach Ertz being the closer, um, getting the basically the decisive touchdown uh, in the fourth quarter to put the Eagles ahead. Um, so, yeah, like just great game planning. When the Eagles got in the red zone, they came out with touchdowns. I think they only kicked one field goal in this game. Um, and then they held the Patriots to field goals. And then the Patriots special teams left five points out there. They missed a field goal. They missed two extra points. Um, their kickoff uh, coverage really wasn't that great. Their return coverage was kind of iffy. And defensively, like uh, Jesse and uh, Dwayne alluded to, they just weren't up to par tonight. The Eagles, um, on every drive, especially after the Patriots score, it seemed to get a big play on that first down to start the drive. And they get 20 or 25 yards off that first play, and the drive was, you know, on its way. So, like I said, just big ups to Nick Foles, man. The moment never got to him. Once the game became 33-32 in favor of the Patriots, you kind of was looking for Nick Foles and the pressure of the game to, to cave in around him, but it never happened, man. He stayed cool, and they went down and they had another answer for the Patriots and put the Patriots back on their heels. So, um, just a great game um, all around. Now, I'll start back with Jesse as far as what you saw from New England tonight offensively. Um, they seem to do their normal type of deal. Brady had over 500 yards passing, but it seems like something was just a little bit off tonight. They were scoring, they were going for field goals instead of getting touchdowns in the first half. Kind of just think that it was maybe Philly's defense or maybe just the Patriots a little bit off. Mm, I think it's a little bit off. I, I mean, it's hard to say just because it's both were, both were at play. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the offense wasn't really spectacular. And then I don't know what was going on with Brady's hands because he was throwing ducks in places. I'm like, he would usually get those to his receiver about 20, like a hundred out of 98 out of a hundred times. So I mean, yes, they, it was partly the Philly, Philly's defense, but it was, yeah, it was all off. So. I mean, it's kind of what happens when guys get injured, right? I mean, you know, you look at Brandon Cooks come out. You look at I was the other kid. Um, I mean, they had two players get concussions, I mean, or concussion-like symptoms or head injuries within like, yeah, 
I mean, oh, Chung's a defender, excuse me, what I'm saying, but like you look at Cook's score, I mean, he's a big part of what they do. He goes out, things change. I mean, yeah, you used to have Gronk, but when you're missing so many guys, I mean, it, 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 becomes a, it, it becomes a compounding situation. I mean, but the bottom line is the Eagles' defense, when they needed to, they made plays. Shout out to that defensive line. Uh, the linebacker core led by Fletcher Cox. I mean, they continue to make plays when it counted, even though it's a high-scoring game. You know, they, they stopped those guys a few times, and obviously it was enough. But, I, I, I mean, I'm still amazed that it happened for the Eagles. I mean, you go into this. What a month ago we were saying, you know, the Eagles would be lucky to win a round, right? You know, we don't know what Nick Foles is going to be. You know, they had lost that game. What was it to the Cowboys at the end of the season? They looked really bad with Foles. Um, they get the bye week, and then they struggle against a, a very inconsistent Atlanta Falcons team. Um, you know, if Julio Jones makes that catch. You know, we're not even having this conversation. Um, ball kind of hit his hands, you know. But um, you know, we gonna let that go. But that being said, they go from that, then they destroy the Minnesota Vikings, and then they win a Super Bowl. I mean, this this is an incredible run. I, I, I'm i really impressed that it happened. I assumed the Patriots were going to win just because, I mean, you know, you can't really count them out. And even towards the end of that game, I mean, they still, you know, were making plays all the way up until the end. So, you know, kudos to the Eagles, and, you know, good for that city, man. Yeah, definitely uh, kudos to the Eagles. I think the big turning point in the in the game was uh, right there before halftime. It was fifteen to twelve. Uh, the Eagles were down there on the one yard line. A field goal makes it eighteen to twelve, up by six. The uh, Patriots going to get the ball coming out of halftime. And like Dwayne said, he had the uh, uh, Peterson had the guts to throw that kind of trick play to Nick Foles. Nick Foles caught the touchdown. And earlier in the game, the Patriots tried to throw back pass to Tom Brady, and the ball went just off his fingertips. I mean, that's just a difference in the Super Bowl, literally. Um, just a few inches or a toe or just the ball moving around. So um, one of the best entertaining Super Bowls in a while. It was definitely, um, you know, full of offense, um, a couple of defensive plays here and there, but not a lot of penalties. A lot of people thought that this officiating crew was going to muck the game up by calling a lot of penalties. We didn't have a lot of penalties, so this was very enjoyable. Um, Dwayne, do we know that this is a copycat league? The Eagles have kind of, you know, find that perfect championship blend of the college offense with the NFL offense. Um, Is this going to maybe start a new wave where – Offensive coordinators won't be so afraid to incorporate the college-style offense and maybe open it up for some of these quarterbacks and make it easier to evaluate some of these guys? Uh, I think not necessarily. I think, you know, this was something that worked for the Eagles. I mean, Doug Peterson took what he learned from Andy Reid because, you know, he's been the Andy Reid disciple for a very, very long time. And, you know, he incorporated a lot of elements that he – um, took on his own along with what he learned uh, from Andy and made this offense. Um, you do see a few teams do have similar styles in a sense, but uh, not to this um, potency where you could plug in a backup quarterback and, you know, he runs the offense, you know, just as efficiently as the original starter did in Carson Wentz. And so, my whole thing is, my whole thing is, you know, this might be a wave. I mean, it's like you said, it's a copycat league. I can see teams trying to emulate it, but you need you need a whole buy-in from you know everybody in the unit, and so and a buy-in from the entire team. And that's what the Eagles have. You know, especially with the way they plugged in guys where their top guys were out. So imagine if their starters were still playing, and how it would probably be an even greater run, and I don't think they would have even been underdogs. They would have been, you know, the heavy favorites. So uh, it's going to be um, emulated, but I don't think it's going to be duplicated unless you have guys that totally buy in. All right. Now let's switch it over to what did the Patriots do from here? Uh, Brady's going to be turning uh, 41 coming up this summer uh, during right before training camp starts. And uh, we've heard some reports this year about internal fighting and, you know, everything's not wonderful in Camelot. Uh, all the, both of the major uh, coordinators are both going to be leaving for head coaching jobs. So it's going to be a bunch of turnover in the coaching ranks. So Nabai's kind of, what do you see going forward here? Um, you know, does this maybe the first real chip and the you know the, the dynasty starting to fall apart here? 
Well, I mean, you know, Gronkowski just said that he wasn't sure if he was coming back. I mean, and can you blame him? I mean, he's a, he's a, you know, obviously he's a very physically strong guy, but his body has taken a beating. You know, last few years, I mean, he didn't get to play in last year's Super Bowl because he missed most of the season. You know, what he just had another concussion. I think that's his third that we that's been reported that we know of. He took some tough hits in this game. I mean, I, um, if Gronk doesn't come back, I mean, that changes everything that the Patriots do. You know, what's Brandon Cooks going to be like? Um, you know, what happens with Malcolm Butler? I mean, what, three years ago he was the hero of the game. Now he's playing special teams. So, I mean, the Patriots have a lot of questions questions to answer. It's easy to say, well, Belichick and Brady, they, they're just going to figure it out. But, you know, we said it about the Cavs and LeBron, and they're not quite figuring it out right now. So, I don't know if the Patriots get it together and what that looks like. But, I mean, I say that now, you know, 30 minutes, an hour after the game got off. Who knows? You know, they make some moves in free agent and get some draft picks and are right back at it. So, as of now, I would say things are in question. But, you know, we'll see. Whoever that team is going to earn his money this year. Yeah, I know the Patriots are due to pay Gronk quite a bit of money. So, I wouldn't be surprised if they, like, traded him or anything like that. Then you have to think about Josh Daniels and Matt Patricia. Your offensive and your defensive coaches are leaving for, what, Indianapolis and Detroit, respectively? Yeah. Correct. So there's just flux everywhere. Also, I think that with, yeah, we got the whole bunch of turnover, uh, salary situations, and, you know, Brady is getting up there in age and, you know, Brian Hoyer is the current backup. Of course, you wanted to keep um, Jimmy G there, but, you know, they shipped him off to San Francisco. And so, and you know, it just wasn't – it's going to be a lot of things to fill, and, you know, this might be the beginning of the end. And But every time we think it's the beginning of the end for New England, they find a way to do it. And so – but I do know that – after we saw Brady win MVP, you know, the last MVP to win the Super Bowl was Kurt Warner in 99. So it was kind of just a bad omen in that direction. And Tom Brady was one of the MVPs that lost in that 2007 uh, Super Bowl to the Giants, too. So I don't know what's going to happen, especially with, you know, the coordinators leaving. Um, Belichick has really no heir apparent just in case something does happen to Tom Brady at the age of 41. And so we'll just have to wait to see in the salary situation too. So a lot of things are going to be going on and have to be sorted out before we can move forward. And uh, I mean, I mean, that's the thing. It's the NFL, man. I mean, you know, it stands for not for long for a reason, bros. And sis, I mean, this league moves quickly. And while the Patriots have been able to maintain for so long, you got to remember before they won the last Super Bowl, what had been nine years in between wins. So that's a lot of time in which things aren't happening. And like you said, Brady's 41 now. Um, I don't care what anybody says. He's a step slower, maybe two steps slower than he used to be. That release isn't as quick as it used to be. He doesn't throw that deep ball as well in quality as he used to. So, you know, man, look, I mean, I ain't trying to throw dirt on the man. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not a foregone conclusion like it would have been two, three years ago. That's all I'm saying. Right. Um, I'm going to give a shout out and give credit to Howie Roseman of the uh, Eagles, their front officer, general manager. Uh, he was really aggressive in the season. He got Jay Ajahe, uh from the Dolphins to uh, sure up that running game, give the Eagles that big one-two punch. Uh, he went out and got Ronald Darby um, a few like two weeks into the season um, when the Eagles uh, needed to shore up their uh, secondary after um, their rookie got hurt in training camp and was lost for the season. Uh, they lost Peters, and they had to fill in with some backup. So, I mean, he just, you know, all year has found players, um, the backup running backs, he got Varner to help out their special teams uh, this season, during the season. So he's made a bunch of moves to their roster. And, uh, you know, everybody definitely contributed that, um, you know, he brought in in some kind of way. You know, Nick Foles, you know, probably be the biggest basically on outside looking in of football uh, two years ago um, to Super Bowl champion. It's just amazing. And then the Eagles are probably, to be honest, a year or two ahead of their schedule. Um, so with Wentz maybe coming back, maybe not being able to, he'll be physically healthy, but I don't know how much he'll be able to, 
you know, improve on his football stuff because he's doing all this rehab with his knee. But you have to think that with more experience and this championship run under their belt and that confidence that, you know, this could be something the Eagles start to, you know, take over the NFC for quite a while because they're so young. A lot of their players aren't big money players as of yet. Their defense is really young. Um, they signed up Alshon Jeffrey, so they've got the receivers and stuff in place with Aguilar and uh, Ertz. So they look set to really be the, the team of the future. But like Nabai said, things change so fast. You never know. Could have a Super Bowl hangover next year. And everybody's like, what's wrong with Philly? So we'll kind of see where this leads them. Now, before we go, Jesse, I want to bring this up to you as your uh, team had the State of the Ravens uh, this Friday. And Steve, your owner, Steve Bishotti, had some interesting things to say. He said he almost considered firing your coach. And he also said that Ossie Newsom will be uh, taking a lesser role, stepping down as the official GM, but he will probably be like the number one scout in your in your front office. Just kind of talk about those changes heading into next season. Okay, so uh, I don't know where to start. So the part where Pashadi was saying that he thought about signing Harbaugh, that would not have been a smart move, only because John Harbaugh can only work for the players he has. Um, if the scouts, the scouting team, if we're not scouting properly and not drafting the players that they need to, then that's what he's working with. And then that's how we have nine and seven seasons where we lose to the Cincinnati Bengals on the last drive of the uh, scoring winning touchdown in the fourth quarter. Um, I kind of felt it was time for Ozzy to step aside. Um, I'm not, on the one hand, it's just because the, the drafting, the draft strategy has not been up to scratch since 2000. I want to say it has been up to scratch in like the past more than more than past five years. I can't give it an exact year, but um, that's kind of where I'm kind of like eh, on you know Ozzy joining the scouting team just because our scouting team isn't up to scratch anyway. So what would what better would it be to have someone who was in charge of the draft of the the draft strategy? And the scouting team. Um, I also remember that Bashadi was saying that, you know, we've lost our, some people in our scouting team. And isn't that kind of your job to replace members of the scouting team? So although these changes are necessary, um, I'm not – I mean, it'll be, interesting, it'll be interesting to see what Eric DaCosta brings up just because he's been under all these wings for so long. A part of me – I see it going two ways. Either he kind of stays with his philosophy because that's what he knows and understands and has – you know, developed his career into, or he's going to be very much, I want to bring my own guys in. And that's when you kind of see the end of Harbaugh and the end of Joe Flacco and seeing what changes come up in that next quote unquote regime. So interesting times ahead. Um, I'm wary, not wholly optimistic. I, the only way I'll be optimistic is if we draft a skill player worth a damn, because the last one, Rashad Perryman, even in his draft report, they were saying that he was very prone to copying up the football or, you know, not making the catches he should be making. And I think that can only be improved by getting a scouting team that digs in deeper and identifies, hey, what about this one? And not draft people, draft skill players that have the yips. So. All right. So at this point, I want to open it up to Nobias and Jesse for their final thoughts. So, Nobias, I'll start with you, sir. Your final thoughts, shout outs, and thank yous. Oh, man, where do I start? I mean, like I said, that game was was spectacular. I mean, it was really great football, back and forth. It's kind of what you want a Super Bowl to be. So, you know, shout out to both those teams that played. And, you know, good for the Eagles, man. A lot of good people on that team who, you know, got their first Super Bowl win, man. And RIP to Edwin Jackson. Um, Saw this kid play high school ball here in in the Atlanta area. You know, apparently – was allegedly killed by – I'd say allegedly, you know, was killed by a drunk driver. You know, up there, and that's really shame, man. That kid's gone. You know, coach football player. You know, a very positive young man. You know, had a whole long life ahead of him, man. And to see him see him gone is really disappointing and really sad. And once again, folks, you know, Uber, Lyft, cabs. I mean, they got all these ways to never have to drunk drive, man. And you know, if if that's actually how it went down, if that person was really drunk, as we'll find out over the next however long. You know, it's very sad. You know, life was lost. Um, goes way beyond football. Most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, Jesse, your uh, final thoughts and uh, thank yous? Um, 
Yeah, I'm, I, I need to come back on here more often. Just life has been crazy, and thanks for sticking with me, even though um, there have been times where, you know, you guys could be like, oh, forget it, she's not coming back. So thank you guys for that. Um, just shout out to the city of Philadelphia, just because uh, that city I know is literally and figuratively on fire right now. So, yay, just shout out to the good people over there, because even though their fans are nuts and I don't want to cross them, I'm sure they're having a real good party right now. All right. Well, thank you, Jesse, of course, for stopping by can, and the bias as well. Can I add one thing there? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, shout out to my family in Philadelphia, um, especially my grandfather, my pops, my aunts and uncles. You know, I'm very, very happy for them. I know it's been a very long time coming, so I just wanted to give them a lot of love and congratulations to them and their team. All right. Yeah, so Philadelphia Eagles, first world championship uh, for their city, NFL Super Bowl championship, that is. And the NFC East becomes the first division to have all their teams have at least one Super Bowl win. There was actually more news in the NFL this week besides the Super Bowl. As the Washington football team made a move to secure a quarterback for this upcoming season, as they acquired Alex Smith from the Kansas City Chiefs, and basically what was a sign-in trade as they gave Alex Smith a four-year extension worth $93 million, $71 million guaranteed, and they traded a Kendall Fuller and a third-round pick. It goes back over to Kansas City. So their best young defensive player and third-round pick for Kansas City's quarterback who's four years older than the guy that you're replacing. So, Dwayne, before I get into it, I will – ask you your thoughts and kind of, you know, the night it happened the same night as the state of the union. So a lot of people get entertainment out of the Washington football team because they weren't paying attention to the state of the union address. And uh, there was a lot of, a lot of jokes being spread on social media. Yeah, it was a lot of jokes, uh, you know, because the state of the union was a joke. So I could see why we needed to entertain ourselves with the, trade that the Washington football team made. I love it for Kansas City because um, Pat Mahomes is his time now, so he'll be the guy going forward. They use a first-round pick on him for him to be sitting behind Al Smith for much longer. Um, they get a good secondary shore up in Kendall Fuller. Uh, we don't know if Darrell Rivas will be back uh, in Kansas City, so he could be a good piece opposite Marcus Peters. And then Alex Smith, this is a win for him because he gets a chance to, you know, continue being a starter somewhere and a team that wanted him. And, and then the this could be a good thing for Washington's incumbent quarterback, Kirk Cousins, because now that he has options, Denver is looking very attractive now. So we'll just have to see how – that plays out with free agency hits and moving forward. Okay. So as we were talking, you know, pre-show, this is like the next at least three years of my football life is Alex Smith is our quarterback. So as a Washington football fan, it's kind of like, okay, how do we get here? Well, it could have been so simple. It would have at any point paying Kirk Cousins would have looked foolish. So if you would have paid him this year, it was going to look foolish. If you paid him the year before, it's going to look foolish. But in actuality, it would have been a way to secure up building up your squad a lot sooner. After 2015, if they would have paid Kirk Cousins $20 million a season, give him a $100 million contract for five years, he would be the 15th highest paid quarterback today. Now, in 2015, yes, he would have been like in the top 10, eight quarterbacks in pay, but you have to look forward because it's all about the quarterback market is the only market that keeps going up every year. It gets higher and higher and higher and higher. Every other position player kind of gets has a cap on theirs except for the quarterback. So at that point, if the Redskins have foresight, 
then they'd have their quarterback and then they would have been three years, four years into building up a better defense and getting him weapons because they wouldn't have to worry about all these franchise tags and transition tags. So even if you wanted to see it again in 2016, okay, you pay him $24 million. That's actually now in 2018, only $1 million more than you're paying Alex Smith to come in and be your quarterback. And again, you would be two years into worrying about building up the rest of your team, getting young defensive players and being able to keep a player like Kendall Fuller to be able to replace Josh Norman, who's probably going to be on his way out after this year because his contract becomes too big to really sustain and keep if you're going to release Kirk Cousins and not pay him over $25 million a season. So as an organization, the team doesn't see – three and four years ahead, they just see the upcoming season and trying to win for the upcoming season. And that has been the downfall of the team. So they had a chance to say, okay, let's just draft a quarterback or let's just place Colt McCoy, who's been in our system. He's our backup. Let's give him the starting job. There's a chance that you could go three and 13. Be at the top of the draft and be able to get your future franchise quarterback. That's the best way to most times rebuild. It's just flat out be bad, get at the top of the draft, get a defensive player or quarterback. In this case, they would need a quarterback. So get your quarterback and then go from there. If they decided to go the route of let's get a veteran quarterback and let's just see if we can acquire with this extra salary cap money since we're not playing a franchise tag or transition tag to Kirk Cousins this year. If we can attract enough free agents and draft enough good young players that we can get over the hump with good health and the returning health of the players that we have. It's yet to be seen. I knew that this would be a laugh at Washington situation. Either way it went. If they franchise Kirk Cousins again, it was they were going to get laughed at. If they didn't pay him, they were going to get laughed at. And whoever they brought in, because I knew it was going to be a Case Keenum or maybe an Alex Smith, type of player, you know, that they were, that was going to be their quarterback because they were going to go with a veteran. I don't think Dan Snyder, he's like Jerry Jones, even though to the benefit of Jerry Jones is what turned his team around, Tony Romo getting injured and they went three and 13 and then they got Zeke and they go with the offensive line. And then, you know, that as well in the same draft. And now they're kind of set up for, you know, prosperity. But I just don't think Dan Snyder has has it in him to go three and thirteen and really be bad for like two years in a row to be good for seven or eight. I just don't think anybody's been able to talk him into it and be convincing enough. But that's what the Washington football team really needs to do. So maybe in three years, when it's time to do this again, that that'll be the route that they go. If Alex Smith can do what he does, which is be a proven playoff quarterback, get them to the playoffs two out of the three years, and then they decide, okay, we've gone as far as we can with Alex Smith. Let's, you know, get us a young, young, young franchise quarterback and take the bullet and be bad. Then we can be good for a long time. So that's my take on it. Dwayne, anything else you want to add or anything you want to counter to to what I said before we move on? I think it's a good take. I also think that with uh, Kirk Cousins, um, you know, you don't – that. That's a pretty good window and a pretty good uh, time frame, you know, because the uh, team's uh, cap is, uh, is a world mess right now, but it is going to clear up with Cousins leaving. I also think that um, I also think that with, you know, Alex Smith, I think you get, if you get at least one reliable player, you know, consistent player, and and uh, if you get the health of other players, you know, you might be able to get a playoff berth or maybe a winning season out of it. But you don't, you really do want to, if you want to properly um, build in this day and age, like you said, and I agree with it, is, you know, sacrifice a couple years for, you know, five or six good ones. Uh, take a look at the. Panthers the year before they got Cam, they were pretty bad, but they've had um, four playoff bursts in the last six years, and it's been um, a pretty good success. And 
it's just one of those things where where you got to get a uh, somebody who's a hard nosed football mind, and you got to trust that hard nosed football mind into running that team and making sure that Dan Snyder does not meddle into those affairs. He wants to be a Jerry Jones, but he's not a Jerry Jones. Even Jerry Jones, GM, needs to step down, but he's a lot better than Dan Snyder to want to be GM. I think he's actually mellowed down in the past few years because the way that we spend money isn't the way it was. And when we were doing that, that was strictly just a Dan Snyder being a let me come in and close the deal type guy. But Bruce Allen, who basically is our football operations vice president guy, he views everything really on like a year to year basis, it seems like. Uh, uh, And that's not really the way to work. I know every team is different from year to year, but you got to have like a, a three or four or five year plan, especially when you're dealing with a quarterback situation like the Redskins had, where they had a replacement for Robert Griffin on their team. It was just a matter of, you know, coming to him with a respectable offer to, you know, get him to sign. You already got him in the building, you know, you got a coach that I guess was behind him. Gruden, maybe it'll come out that, you know, Kurt and Gruden, we're kind of in a iffy place too. And that might've been something that, you know, Stuart Kirk, you know, not wanting to come back. It was reported that they didn't have any contact after the season from either side, the cousins camp never countered and, and gave the Washington football team a number to negotiate towards. So, you know, something was a disconnect, a misfire there. And, you know, so they got him out of town and they got a replacement that wasn't a young guy. And that's the best they could have done for the mess that they made. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out next year and moving forward. So moving on, of course, Super Bowl weekend, they give out all of the awards, the honors as far as the MVP, um, you know, the rookies of the year, offensive and defensive rookies of the year. So, Dwayne, we'll start, uh, give you an opportunity here. You know, who do you want to, you know, nominate or foresee as being first off the MVP? Oh, that's a tough one, but – Looking at the numbers, you can't ignore what Tom Brady's done all season. My MVP personally would be Carson Wentz because of what he did throughout the games before he got hurt. Um, He was playing so well, lights out. Uh, He had about 33 touchdowns before he got hurt, and one of those touchdowns was on on a bad knee. So personally, that's my MVP. However, I do see... Um, Tom Brady ended up getting it because he led the league in passing. He had 230 completions for first downs. That was mostly in the NFL. He's doing this at the age of 40, which is even more amazing. And so that would be my pick for the MVP. My sentimental pick is once, but the the uh, pick would be Brady. All right. I'm going to agree with you with Brady as well. Um, just another incredible season, just you know, putting up the numbers that he puts up. But I would definitely have a sentimental favorite in uh, Todd Gurley. Uh, he had, you know, uh, just a, a career defining year this year uh, under the offense of Sean McVay. He had some spectacular highlight runs. He, um, you know, set career marks as far as receptions and touchdown catches and touchdown runs. So, you know, he was really a big key in the resurgence of the Rams this year. So that would be kind of my research, my, uh, you know, sentimental favorite, but yeah, I agree with you. Um, Brady, you know, once again, just defined up, you know, father time and, and just being his consistent self, you know, it's, it's just amazing. Um, as far as offensive rookie of the year, do you think anybody besides Kareem Hunt is going to walk up there and accept that? Alvin Kamara, the saints. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. He came played. On. Yeah. Uh, he came on very. He came on late, but he came on very strong. Uh, he was a great returner, great receiver. So that would be my pick. I would also. I would put going back a little bit to that uh, girly pick. I would say he'd be a good pick for offensive player of the year, personally. All right. Um, as far as a defensive rookie of the year, do you have a a name there? Staying in New Orleans, I'm going with uh, Marcus Lattimore. Of the Saints or Marshawn Lattimore, I should say. Um, forgive me if I got it wrong. So, but that would be my pick for 
the defensive rookie of the year. Um, had a great season. A couple games were out, but he was really lights out. And, you know, that would be my pick there. All right. Now, also, we are going to have, um, you know, the Hall of Fame announcements coming up. And we have four first ballot Hall of Famers this year. As we have Randy Moss is eligible, Ray Lewis, Brian Erlacher, and Steve Hutchinson. Uh, T.O. is in his second year of eligibility this year. There's a, been a big groundswell this year to try to get T.O. in. Um, so, Dwayne, are we going to just get these four first-timers in? And then, of course, they have the Legends picks and the coach and the uh, front office people. But as far as uh, players go, is uh, T.O. going to be shut out again? Just because, I mean, you know, Ray Lewis for sure, Randy Moss for sure, Erlacher, maybe Steve Hutchinson as a guard could be maybe, but I mean, he was the best guard in the AFC and the NFC. So, <laughs> you know, that probably would get him in. So is there an outside chance that Terrell Owens can get in this year? I would say if Randy Moss gets in, Terrell Owens should get in. Um, you know, I think the rocky relationships uh, with the media is coming back to bite T.O., but, you know, if you look at the numbers, he's second all-time in receiving yards, um, second all-time or third all-time in touchdown receptions, and, you know, he has done everything. I mean, look at the Super Bowl 39 against the Patriots and playing on a bad ankle, and he had nine catches for 122 yards in that game. So, um that was one of the gutsiest performances in history, and they came up three points short, of course. But it's one of those things where you got to give credit where it's due and give I, give him, you know, the nod to go into the Hall of Fame. I think he deserves it. I think that, you know, Randy Moss can get in. I think Terrell Owens should get in as well. All right. Just a reminder, this is Know the Score. We're being brought to you by CSPN. Please visit our website, www.cspn.us, and support our podcast. You can support our podcast by supporting our sponsors. Hey, fellas, it's getting close to Valentine's Day. You want to do something special for your lady this year? Don't do the usual. Take her out to dinner. Try to make the reservations. Fight the crowds. Go through cspn.us and click on the blueapron.com and subscribe to Blue Apron. You get fresh meals, ingredients, everything you need since your house with the instructions, everything measured out to you. All you have to do is just read and follow directions, and then you can have a nice home-cooked meal for Valentine's Day. And you also get $30 off your first order when you sign up for Blue Apron. So again, cspn.us and Blue Apron do it today. So, Dwayne, we're going to move into a little bit of NBA talk as the week got started with a bombshell as the Los Angeles Clippers seem to be in official acquire LeBron James mode or at the very least acquire Paul George mode as they traded Blake Griffin to the Detroit Pistons for Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, Boban Marijanovic, plus a first and second round draft pick. So it looks like the purge of the Clippers has begun and they're setting up to try to make a run at, you know, this free agent class in the summer. Um, your initial thoughts when you saw the trade go down. Well, I was probably as shocked that Blake Griffin was when, when it happened, just to include that, um, that um, gif that he put out when he found out the news. And so I liked the trade. For the Pistons, uh, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond is going to be a pretty formidable uh, front court. Then you got Reggie Jackson as the point guard, Sam Van Gundy coaching. This should help the Pistons keep up with the Bucks, Pacers, and Cavs in a very, very tight central race. Um, and this is uh, pretty much the Clippers are going all in on free agency and. You know, hopefully they don't clipper it and end up coming up snake guys getting nothing. So you trade away all those guys. You trade away Blake. You trade away Chris Paul. Um, well, he left a sign and trade, of course. And you do all this and you don't get the guys that you that you want. And, you know, the guy that I feel bad for is DeAndre Jordan, who was literally held hostage in Houston by Blake Griffin, J.J. Redick, Chris Paul and Paul Pierce and those four 
are either retired or not on the team. Well, they're not on the team anymore, either via retirement, trade, or free agency. And DeAndre's just stuck there. He could have been in Dallas right now. So it sucks for him. Avery Bradley gets reunited with Doc Rivers. Um, you know, can't wait for the formidable backcourt of Austin Rivers and and uh, Avery Bradley. So good luck in the West for the Clippers. Big win for Detroit. Yeah, the Clippers definitely are, you know, trying to position themselves to make sure that this gamble pays off this time. You know, you've got two really big fish out there in Paul George and LeBron. They're trying to get both of them, of course, if they can move DeAndre. I thought that that was probably the thing that held them up the most from actually being a good team is wasting that money on DeAndre when, you know, they really didn't need it. Um, they had a, a you know, a Bryce uh, Johnson also gets moved in this trade to Detroit, and that's going to help him because he was basically getting buried on the bench, and he was a, a young player, power forward, you know, running jump type of player. So it, to me, it just seems like, you know, Doc Rivers, again, as a GM, is just getting in Doc Rivers' way as a coach, and if they can kind of clear that up and get themselves a real – basketball player, uh, excuse me, basketball personnel person to, you know, separate Doc from the front office too. I think that they would definitely excel because, you know, Doc is still a good basketball coach, but I think his personal involvement with who's on the team and who's not on the team is starting to become a problem. Uh, you, you think that you, would you agree? Yeah. With that? yeah, I do. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where he's still living off that, 2008 championship a little bit too so um it's one of those things where he needs to just focus on one thing if he's gonna be a coach be a coach if he's gonna be a gm be a gm don't be both right right now in the uh you know it's a snow slow news day because this is the week of the super bowl of course uh there was a report that came out that said lebron would listen if the warriors somehow came up with a max slot for him this offseason. And of course, that sent the whole sports world, especially basketball world, into just, you know, implosion as they just, you know, had, you know, thoughts of the Harlem Globetrotters. If LeBron teams up with Steph and KD to form the super team of all super teams, that would probably be like a supernova or a black hole because, you know, that's the way people reacted. Like the whole NBA would just be sucked in and nobody would ever be able to get back out. So is this just nothing and, you know, just, slow news day or is this maybe LeBron just, you know, floating something out there just to kind of perk people's interest. And then he gets to be passive aggressive when people ask him about it. Definitely the passive aggressive part. I think, I think it's just a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, slow news day, nothing going on. And, you know, why not have the NBA establish a buzz while the NFL is getting, you know, prepared for its championship. So this isn't, anything. I mean, if any team could do it, it's the Warriors. They got the money to do it. Their owners are loaded. They could really do it if they wanted to. Um, Lake of Bagoover, they would pay that luxury tax and then some. I mean, they're already paying for a brand new building in San Francisco of all places, so they could do it if they really wanted to, but I think they're not going to do it. I think like Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant called the uh, BS, and you know LeBron is missing it. And you know who's is he going to get twenty three off of Draymond? I don't think so. So, um, yeah, this is just um, just something to get uh, people talking, and and uh, I don't think it'll be much of anything. All right, and then our final bit of NBA news, the Pelicans in need of another big man to continue working their Twin Tower front court after the injury, season-ended injury to Boogie Cousins, went out and acquired Nikola Miracic from the Bulls. Of course, uh, Miracic made news earlier this season as he was on the business end of uh, some lefts and rights from his teammate Bobby Portis and had to miss like the first quarter of the NBA season. But, um, you know, he's a very good big man, uh, power forward inside, outside, very good three point shooter, very skilled in the post as well. Good passer. Definitely will compliment Anthony Davis uh, just as well as Boogie Cousins did. So, um, you know, Dwayne, are you as strong on this move as I am that this is, you know, uh, maybe a little bit better because, you know, Miritich, you know, doesn't need as many shots as Boogie will to get the same production? I'm a fan of this because it does make Anthony Davis the 
focal option once again, the top option, not a 1A, 1B, but a pure number one. And, you know, Miritich will help out quite a bit. And this does make uh, New Orleans uh, a solid playoff team yet again. You know, we thought they might kind of struggle, fall back if they didn't make a move, but they did make a move. So it was really looking like Dell Debs is really trying to go all in towards the playoffs and keep that momentum going and do the right things to keep uh, New Orleans uh, thriving here uh, in the post-Boogie um, Cousins, um, post-Boogie injury uh, part of the season for the Pelicans. All right, all right. So, Dwayne, I want to open it up to you at this point in the show for any final thoughts, shout-outs, and thank yous that you'd like to add. Uh, I would like to say, you know, first off, um, with the Larry Nasser situation, it's very, very unfortunate. It just seems like it's getting uglier and uglier. And with the whole uh, Michigan State, you know, everybody needs to be investigated at Michigan State why this was going on for so long. And it's really, really a sad situation there. And it just seems like there's just more ugliness is getting revealed and you know we don't know if and when that the stories are going to end um i have one other brief uh final thought shout out to miami for getting the 25th um, major league soccer franchise so they'll be the 25th mls team and followed by you know they followed nashville nashville's granted the team so they're 24th um la football club lafc starts this year and so MLS is expanding. I think they're trying to get 28 by 2020. And so there's still three more cities that can still be in the running for a soccer franchise. All right. Thank you, Dwayne. Um, my final thought is probably going to be about college basketball. Um, we're coming into February. Uh, this is the time where, you know, the really good teams begin to start separating themselves and start showing their championship form. Uh, the later we get into this short month heading into the tournaments uh, that make up March. And right now, you know, the traditional blue buds are struggling a little bit. Carolina, North Carolina, that is, has lost three games in a row with horrid three-point defense, allowing uh, 15 made three-pointers in the past two games consecutively. We've got Kansas losing at home again, this time to Oklahoma State. Um, you know, they've got like a century's worth of losses at home this season um, alone. You've got Duke, you know, they uh, lost a tough game to Virginia. Both teams are in the top five. And then they uh, turned around again today uh, and as recording this, lost to St. John's up in New York in a big upset. So, you know, we've got um, – uh, Villanova, Virginia, and Purdue as our top three teams right now. They've been, you know, the most consistent. Uh, Michigan State has rebounded after, you know, a little hiccup here or there. So March Madness and, you know, this month of February is going to be very interesting to see who can separate themselves and head into the NCAA tournament and the conference tournament and uh, be the favorites, you know, to win the championship and cut down the nets. So really looking forward to this month of February as far as college basketball goes. So, for the Libra icon, Dwayne, for That's So Jesse, Miss Jesse, for In Wilborn 19, our man, Tobias Wilborn, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.